0: Welcome to Laser Focus, a podcast that takes you on the journey of discovery with the leaders that are changing the world with new design and revolutionizing how we think of advanced manufacturing. I'm your host, Runa Youssef, CEO and brand destructor at Velo3D. Today, I'm speaking with Greg Morris. Greg is the CTO of Zeta and is often referred to as the godfather of additive manufacturing. Greg has been involved in the 3D printing industry for over 25 years, was inducted into the TCT Hall of Fame and will receive the 2024 EMUG Innovators Award for metal 3D printing contributions. He served as an ambassador for 3D printing and was part of the broader team that helped revolutionize the design and production of gas turbine engine parts using additive metal at GE Additive. So Greg, welcome to Laser Focus. It's so great to be able to chat with you again.
1: Thank you. Good to talk with you too.
0: So the first question, is probably something you get asked a lot. You're often called the godfather of additive manufacturing. Can you tell us about how you got the title and if you have any responsibilities or expectations you actually associate with the title?
1: It's a, um, a funny story in some ways, but when GE Aviation had acquired our company, Morris Technologies, back in the 2012 timeframe, not terribly long after that, GE got a call from... CNBC and they said, hey, we want to do a story now that you guys are talking about your field nozzle and send Melissa Lee, one of their anchors out, to actually do the story in Cincinnati. So GE got a hold of me and said, hey, Greg, we're going to have this CNBC person coming out and they're going to want to do a film this and interview somebody. We'd like you to do that. And I said, okay, yeah, I can do it. No problem. Shot the story, interviewed me and Took pictures, took video of the machines working and some of the fuel nozzle components. All that was wrapped up. She was uh, very pleasant. It was a great, great little interview. And I said, okay, I got to go. And I knew she had to get back to New York. So off we went. And I am now in New York at a GE class. I did not get a chance on that Tuesday to see the broadcast. But Melissa, unbeknownst to me, opens up the segment, evidently, with... Uh, Something to the effect of this uh, weekend, I had the pleasure to be in Cincinnati at GE Aviation and interviewing Greg Morris, the godfather of additive. I actually didn't see the interview. I had heard about it. And then, uh, of course, by the time I got back, my colleagues just had a heyday with it. So I came back to godfather ring. I came back to just people really having fun with the whole thing. And however you want to look at it, that's never worn off just because I think people think it's funny, and it is. Certainly, I am not the quote-unquote godfather of additive. It was just how she introduced the segment, and and that's stuck as people like to rid me a little bit about it.
0: I think you're being humble because I think people actually do associate you you, with much more than just a joke. I appreciate
1: the sentiment. The reality is I was really born the face of talking about the technology, and to explain that. When we first got involved in the technology in 2003 and brought it to North America and specifically the direct metal laser centering, laser bed, powder bed laser technology, it was a new technology that nobody in North America had really seen or knew what it was or knew how to use it. So in order to promote the technology, in order to get out there and sell the technology to customers, I ended up doing a fair amount of trade show talks, I think. Just by virtue of that, people associated me with the additive metal and the specific technology we were using, but that certainly does not translate into me being the technical expert. There are many folks that were at our company. Nobody knew who they were because they weren't on the public stage, but they were really the folks that made it work and deserved the credit. I just happened to be the guy out there talking about it. The reality is, like anything, there's an entire village that has to come together to make a technology like the DMLS technology or other technologies work well. And that was most certainly the case in, in uh, Morris Technologies and, and my journey and the additive world.
0: We talked about your journey, and I imagine you've seen a lot. And you've been around additive, I think, for over 25 years. So in that time, how has the AM industry evolved? And what significant milestones or breakthroughs stand out to you the most? Time
1: flies. It's been a long time. The additive industry has evolved greatly. When I first got involved in the industry, I'm going back to 1994. When I first got involved in it, stereolithography was the technology that our company started with. And I still remember how we would build parts. And some of the very earliest resins we were using were the acrylate resins. And you would actually could hold a part, I don't know, maybe four or five, six inches above a table. And if you dropped it, it would shatter just because the material was so weak. It was just very brittle. And then right. we moved into epoxy resins, and that was a big jump forward. And then, of course, from there, the technologies began to evolve beyond the laser polymers. We started to see things like the FDM technology come out. Early days, we also played with, had a machine from a company called Helisys at the time. They made a paper-based machine that had a glue on the back and a hot roller that would laminate the paper one layer to the next, and the laser would come down and cut that layer, if you will. And That was an interesting technology. Lasers and paper didn't exactly match. We had a couple of little fires in the machines. The industry has come a huge long way, not just on a technical side, but on the application of how additive is used. It went from prototyping to functional prototyping, to low volume and mass customization. And I think we are finally getting to uh, some very serious applications out there where in polymers and metals and other materials, we're seeing uh, production components that are able to be made using these technologies. So huge progress in 25 years. Still haven't felt like we've really come over the, the hill on trying to get this into mainstream manufacturing per se, and, and mm. there are probably a variety of reasons for that. But I do think we're getting closer every day.
0: So you talked a little bit about the progress that we've seen in additive over the last 25 years. What are the biggest metal AM application wins in that time that you can think of?
1: Additive metal, and, and this is probably still true to some degree today, really started its role in prototyping and test hardware. And specifically, there were quite a few applications in the aerospace arena, and more specifically, I would say, in the earlier days, in the gas turbine engine. For gas turbine engine components, for test rigs and those type of things, the technology was a phenomenal fit. It was a quick way to get functional components and eventually grew its way into the ability to be considered as a production methodology to make parts that would actually go into flying passengers. And I think as probably many people in the industry and outside the industry at this point already know, the GE fuel nozzle is a fantastic story of how that happened. And and we were very involved in that whole project from the very beginning. And ultimately, the additive metals technology and a material called cobalt chromium were the great combination that happened to allow GE to be able to create a complex fuel nozzle and put it into the LEAP engine, which is flying the A321neo and the Boeing 37 Max. Those engines, every LEAP engine, has a number of those fuel nozzles that are installed in the engine, and that's how they direct the fuel into the combustion chamber. And it's pretty amazing that the technology was able to get to that regulated of a application and critical of an application. But there are a lot of other applications that have developed, I would argue the medical community is one where we see a a tremendous number of companies, your biggest orthopedic companies out there to startups, etc. utilizing the technology to create complex medical implants. We see the dental industry using it for mass customization of copings and those type of things. And then more recently, we have a a very robust industry in the space industry uh, using the technology for a whole slew of applications, but quite a bit of propulsion components. It's just a phenomenal technology to be able to save time, save costs, and those very complex components that are uh, probably very highly regulated industries and and are pretty demanding applications.
0: You also mentioned that additive or 3D printing hasn't gone mainstream yet. So what would you consider the most pressing challenges or obstacles that the AM industry is facing today? And what can we as an ecosystem do to address these challenges? Great question.
1: Many people understand additive. They understand 3D printing. They know it's out there. Today's younger generation, many of them have had their hands on additive at their high schools or pre-high school It's affordable for the polymer printers. A lot of people have them at home. So the technology itself is, I dare I say, to some degree ubiquitous. But in a production environment, the biggest single reason I believe, there's really two driving factors, at least from my perspective, of why it isn't more widespread. And I think the number one reason why you don't see more additive out in the components, if you will, for all the things that we Take for granted that we use every day. If you're in a car, there's thousands of components make up a car. If you're flying on a plane, thousands of parts make up a plane. Very few, if even any, in many cases, have additive components in them. And the reason is probably number one, cost. If you're making automobile parts, it's a pretty competitive industry and the margins are pretty thin. And there are decades of experience using traditional manufacturing methodologies that have had the advantage of time and working cost out of those processes. I think the other area that would be an impediment would be the knowledge of how do I design using these technologies? There are a number of different modalities, as I would call them, on additive. There are laser and electron beam, there is filament, there is powder in the case of metal that could get blown into a laser stream and on. If I just look at metals, even in metals, there's a good four or five major modalities. And each of those have different design criteria and different things that one has to be aware of when designing a part for that specific technology. And that becomes a real problem just simply from a knowledge standpoint. It's difficult to be versed and be expert in every single one of those modalities. And Not because people can't learn it, but it requires a pretty big investment in time and effort and capital. If you were to try to have all those different modalities, laser-based, EBM-based, if you were to do DED, if you were to do binder jet, if you had all those machines on your floor and you spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours understanding all the nuances of each one of those, then you might be considered an expert. But the reality is nobody has that and nobody... Uh, we'll do that. Even if you just have one item, laser-based powder bed, it takes a long time to really take and get your mindset in the frame of how do I design using an additive technology? What are the nuances? What are the things I have to watch out for? What are the advantages that I have? Versus if you uh, are trying to think about how do I design something with traditional manufacturing methodologies in mind. So I would say those two things. I would say it's a knowledge problem, if you will, or an experience, maybe a time problem. And then it's a cost problem because the technology is still expensive. It is still not, in many cases, as fast as traditional methodologies. But that's really if you frame it, if putting things, pitting things against each other apples to apples. You were to create a part and you're thinking traditional manufacturing methodologies and you say you want a stamping, okay? The stamping tooling might be expensive and it might take some time, but once you have the tool and you put it on a stamping machine, you could stamp out thousands of parts a day. It's very efficient. But you also have to have millions of parts, hundreds of thousands or millions of parts that you are going to produce using that technique. Additive will never compete in our lifetimes, probably against a stamped part in that scenario. They're just not fast enough, and it's not efficient. But if your stamping quantity were much lower, if it had different complexity that would make the tool very expensive or impossible to make, then additive might be a consideration. So a lot of factors come into play, and it has to do with quantity, it has to do with design complexity. And it has to do sometimes also with lead time. A forging might take 18 months to make. And if additive could make that same forging in a way that is still usable, given the mechanical properties and do it within two months, that is a potentially uh, huge savings and, and a reason why one would consider using additive, even if it might be more expensive. So a lot of moving pieces here, but I think Where additive becomes more mainstream, where it becomes more than just a fraction of a percent of all the parts that are made, is when we start to see people design specifically with additive in mind on a more regular basis, and when we start to see costs come down and get closer to what some of those traditional manufacturing methodologies are able to produce.
0: That's, that was a great answer to that question. We did talk about some industries, like when we're talking about some of the successes that we've had, you talked about like medical and aviation. Are there other sectors that are yet to explore additive that you think they could benefit from 3D printing?
1: I think there are clearly many other industries. There are pockets where automotive is considering using the technology. We've said medical and aerospace and space, the uh, Department of Defense applications, the energy markets, that could be oil and gas. It could be some of the green energy initiatives that uh, a lot of companies are going after, and there's one common denominator typically when we talk about all these different industries, and it's usually the complexity of the components So high complexity and potentially lead time. And then I think the ability to say, can I carve competitive advantage by designing in a way that gives me something that I would have a very difficult time getting in a traditional manufacturing methodology. So that opens up all kinds of industries. I'll take an example. On the aerospace front, I gave the example of the GE fuel nozzle. But look, there's a lot going on, both on the uh, DoD front, but also on the commercial front relative to, say, hypersonics. And hypersonics is a hot-button topic uh, for a lot of reasons. Let's talk about the civilian reasons. And that would be to create propulsion for future craft that'll be able to get people from point A to point B around the globe much faster. But as everybody probably knows with hypersonics, you're dealing with extreme heat and you have to cool components. And one of the most effective ways to cool components is if you can put highly complex designs together where you can flow fuel or be able to remove heat in a very efficient way. And additive absolutely shines. It's probably one of the most cost-effective ways to do that. Just take that example and take it across really almost any industry where you can envision complex metal parts. Could be automotive, for sure. Just may not be something where you can get some relatively simple part cheap but as we do head toward electrification you're starting to see components where additive might be a great technology to use to create a complex heat sink. Or if you're in the oil and gas industry and you've got a very complex part that you want to send down drilling down hole and uh, you want to get pack in uh, more instrumentation or you want to provide a certain amount of efficiency on the drill bit, or the instrumentation that goes into these things, which are highly sophisticated. And by the way, these are very harsh environments, uh, very hot and corrosive and just nasty environments where they go down and they drill. And that could be for gas or it could be for oil, etc. But that industry has been long using and evaluating the technology. And then I think you're starting to see a lot of applications and things like the UAVs and And all all those type of applications where compact size, complexity, the ability to work with certain materials like titanium or other unusual materials and do so in a more efficient and faster and better way than traditionally, all those things start to come into play. But really, any industry that deals with potential components that may be complex or if you combine various components could be complex creates competitive advantage. And I think it's important for companies to consider additive, not just look at the cost, maybe not just the lead time, but what could that bring to the table for a competitive advantage?
0: Switching gears a little bit. So congratulations on being honored with a Mugs Innovators Award. At the beginning of the show, you talked about collaboration and how important it was for everything that was happening to fuel the industry. So could you share some insights into the partnerships and collaborations you believe have been instrumental in shaping the industry and how maybe these relationships have paved the way for advancements that we see today?
1: That's an award meant for a lot of people that I'm honored to accept on on their behalf as well. Anytime you have an industry like the additive industry, which is relatively small, it's so important to Try to break down the traditional barriers of how one might think of competition and really look at it in a more holistic and broader view. We are, as I had mentioned earlier, just a tiny fraction of global GDP um, of components made. It's just, it's, it's a little blip on the radar. How does one go from being a fraction of a percent to even say 1%, which incidentally, translates into billions of dollars. The only fastest way is to try to innovate and in, in, in knock down the reasons why people wouldn't adopt the technology. And like anything, I think if you try to do it alone, it is uh, incredibly difficult and there are many headwinds and it's expensive and it takes time. If, to the best, any company and any individuals can collaborate without violating, let's say, the uh, competitive laws, competitor will be a competitor, but there's ways to go about it where we're all rowing in the same direction with the same goal in mind. And as they say, all boats rise with the tide. So that would be the goal from my perspective is try to develop the relationships in an emerging industry, 25 years on perhaps, 30 years on, but still a young industry where no one person, no one government, no one country, no one entity can possibly afford or have enough time to do all the things that we need to be doing. And I see in our industry, a lot of collaboration. I, I see government and academia and industry that, that oftentimes come together to try to solve some of the big problems. I, I see OEMs cooperating with each other so that they don't continuously reinvent the wheel. And they get there faster than if they were trying to do it alone and for less cost. And that needs to happen more and more. And the industry is big. It's not just equipment makers and material manufacturers and service providers. It's also the software folks. And there's a whole lot of research and development going on out there, at academic institutions and applications that are being developed and people using what others have done and standing on their shoulders to be able to do the next thing. By and large, I think the more people collaborate, the faster the industry as a whole becomes more mainstream. You find the industry goes from however many billions it is today in the single digits to a much larger industry, and everybody benefits from that. If the right ingredients, the right environment, in the right way, all those ingredients happen, then it can be pretty powerful.
0: I imagine that the industry become more powerful, we also need more inclusivity and diversity. So there's no secret there's a sort of lack of diversity and inclusivity in the industry. So how can we work all together to ensure that talent from all backgrounds have the opportunity to contribute and succeed?
1: Think about this technology being 3D printing, starting out in the mid-80s. And in that period of time, it was difficult to attract the type of diversity that I see, at least today. It wasn't as powerful back then. So the world has changed in a good way in that corresponding period of time. So I think the roots of the industry happen to probably not be as diverse as it was or as it is today, but today I'm pretty excited about what I see. I look at my own daughters and one of them in particular, is very interested in engineering as a career path. That to me is uh, something that may not have happened back in the mid eighties that is much more likely to happen today, but I think it's work that We get a variety of people from a variety of backgrounds and a variety of experiences to embrace participation in the industry. And the one thing I will say about 3D printing is it is a very conducive way to allow the creativity and imagination of anybody to come out. How does one get access to the tools in order to let that creativity come out? I think it's important that we try to get as many of these tools into schools and across the spectrum. So not just your private schools, but into public schools and then to disadvantaged public schools. And I think that has started to happen. Companies have helped on that. I remember GE had an education program back when I was with GE, and that was an attempt to get hundreds of little polymer printers into schools. And I think it was relatively successful. But those type of initiatives are important, and it's really interesting what you see when you get that out and you democratize the technology, ultimately, which is it does begin to open up doors and I think allow some of the creativity to flow. And then from that, I think people get pretty excited about inventing and uh, making parts is something that appeals to a lot of kids. That's the seed, that's the beginning of getting them involved in a career path or even just thinking about a path of going a certain direction versus another direction. It is true the industry foundations were not as, let's say, diverse, and I think that has changed over time. Still, of course, there's a lot that can be done, but I'm encouraged uh, greatly by a lot of the things that I have seen, in particular in the last uh, five to ten years at various companies and organizations, where we are starting to see a, a much a broader and diverse group of people involved in our industry but like everything there's a long way to go but you know the table's been set and i think there's a lot of progress that's been made on that front
0: i agree like women in 3d printing that's also awesome to see encouraging more diversity and inclusivity for sure yes greg some fun questions if you could go back in time what would you have done differently and why Hindsight's
1: 2020, as we all (laughs) know, I believe, and I feel I have just been so blessed and fortunate to have a wonderful career. I didn't start out immediately in the additive industry, but I ended up there probably about five or six years after I graduated college and it's been one heck of a journey and I am very blessed to have worked with incredible business partners. Uh, incredible colleagues at the companies I've been associated with and, and uh, the people I've known in the industry. Would I fundamentally have changed anything in my career path? I think I needed to go through some of the tough lessons that we went through as a company, especially during the financial Those as, as I like to tell my daughters that something bad happens or is tough, it builds character. Anybody involved in the industry today, it still is exciting to me and still has the opportunities that I could never have imagined when we first got involved in it. But it's just a phenomenal business to be in. So I mm-hmm. wouldn't change much uh, for me. I didn't graduate an engineer. I, I think it probably been okay for me not to be an engineer, but I, if you want to call it this way, play an engineer at times. And that's worked out all right, because as I said before, I know enough to be dangerous.
0: A lot of guests have said that. They've said they wouldn't change anything. They've used their past to learn and move on, and they wouldn't take away any of those experiences. So I think that's what, also what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I, I think I am. I, would I have liked to have avoided the 0809 09 timeframe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have loved
0: to have uh,
1: you know, avoided through that period of time. It was really it was scary. It was it's not tough. fun. It was really mm-hmm. tough. And, and anybody who went through that who had enough touch points to have to live through the downturn and the financial implications of that, would agree. It it wasn't fun. But I think I lost half the amount of hair on top of my head from that time, (laughs) but I wouldn't have traded.
0: Can you share one piece of advice or insight you've learned or received during your career, especially in additive, that you think our audience could benefit from?
1: We live in a world where we are very used to instant gratification. Back here here I go, sounding like an old (laughs) meager. But back in the day, (laughs) when we first started our company, we didn't have cell phone. We didn't have the mobile phone. We didn't have the smartphone. Okay. It was literally the phone stuck in your car. And we didn't have, the worldwide web was just beginning. And today we have all these fantastic tools. We have the smartphones. Of course, we more recently have the AI generated capability for chat GPT and other platforms. And we are very getting very comfortable with at the tip of our fingertips, being able to get answers and trying to find something, which is fine, which is not a problem. But my advice is spend the time to become expert at something. And if it's Hmm. in the additive world, spend the time to really understand what it is that your particular field within additive or anything else is all about. The reason I say that is that, uh, aside from your phone going dead and maybe not having power to it uh, at some point, it just makes you a more valuable person. And the same thing I would say for anything to do with attitude. Yeah, you can get on the internet and you should learn, but don't just get the answer. I would say become expert in your area, learn and keep learning and don't stop learning. And over the course of time, even though it may not happen overnight, you will figure out an area that you become expert in, you become valuable in, opportunity in, and you never know where that leads. But it certainly cannot lead to a bad place. It can only lead to good things.
0: I love that. One last question. As the godfather of AM, and I know you've been really humble about it, but is there a legacy or what legacy or impact you hope to leave on the AM industry?
1: Godfathering (laughs) AM aside, there are a lot of really talented Smart people that I have been extremely fortunate and privileged to know and and work with or be associated with or connect with in the industry. And I think the biggest legacy is one for me from a personal standpoint of just being a part of that group of that, those number of people that have advanced the technology that have changed the way we think about a variety of different components or products. I think it's improved products, which have improved lives. I think it indirectly, one can make the argument it is a enhancing technology, just not just for the economic benefits, but uh, for a lot of benefits beyond that. Whether it's something in the medical field that's improved a life outcome for somebody, whether it's improved fuel efficiency, made us a better, less polluted planet, whatever. I think being a part of a broader group that has collectively each stood on each other's shoulders, advanced the technology, promoted the technology, and taking it to where it is today and where it's going tomorrow is fantastic. It is a little corny to say you change the world, and I don't want to be that dramatic, but I think it has changed certain aspects of manufacturing, and I think it's going to have an even broader implication on that as we go forward. From an industry standpoint, I would say that, and then the legacy that I hope is left for more personally for my daughters is one of looking and saying, hey, uh, my dad was a part of that industry, which is pretty cool technology. And that the business that we had and the career that I had was done with uh, integrity and, and with high ethics. And I've always appreciated the fact that I met a number of people that my dad knew when he was in business. And it was always great as a kid to hear people talk about that aspect of your parent, of your father. And I hope the same for my
0: kids. That's lovely. So thanks so much for your time, Greg. I constantly learn a lot when I speak with you and I appreciate your time on the show today. That's been
1: a pleasure as always. And uh, thank you. I appreciate the time to be on.
0: And this brings us to the end of another inspiring season of Laser Focused. I've had the pleasure of speaking to a lot of visionaries on this podcast. And what better way to close this season than to speak to the ever-humble godfather of additive manufacturing. It was truly inspiring to hear about Greg's journey and his key learnings along the way. Something that stands out to me from my conversation with Greg is the importance he places on collaboration. This is a thread that has come up a lot over the season of Laser Focused. Additive manufacturing is still a young industry and it's clear that there's a lot we can learn from not only the technology, but from each other as we work to make the industry more mainstream. As Greg points out, additive manufacturing has the potential to impact so many industries, the global economy, and in turn, countless lives. As industry leaders, it becomes more and more imperative that we become passionate advocates for educating future generations on the potential of additive manufacturing and truly democratize their technology. That's a legacy we can all work to leave in our week. Thank you for listening to Laser Focused. You can find new episodes every two weeks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and leave a review to help more listeners find us. I'm Renate Yusuf, and this has been Laser Focused, brought to you by Velo3D, where together we innovate without compromise.